Working Class Audio is brought to you by Universal Audio, Audio Technica, Lauten Audio, Focal Monitors, and Gearsluts.com. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 150. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Jack. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 150 you're listening to. That's right, 150. That's a lot of listening and a lot of talking on your part and my part. So, yeah, thanks for continuing to listen. September 15th, 2014. You know what that is? That that was the birthday of the podcast. I completely forgot that there was a birthday to be celebrated. So, yeah. Here we are at the end of October 2017, and yeah, so anyways, last month, middle of the month, we had a third birthday. I forgot. It's okay. Don't worry. I it, You know, don't worry about sending a card, because even I forgot, right? Yeah, three years. That's amazing. I can't believe that. I, I mean, I can believe that I forgot that we had a birthday, but I can't believe it's been three years. That's That's kind of striking to me. Anyways, yeah, three years, 150 episodes, and it continues on, so... Let's get on with it, huh? My guest today is uh, Mr. Jim Holmes, and Jim is one half of the production team of known as Bo Weaver, and the other half of that production team is his brother Rob. Now, my guest is Jim, and you're probably asking, well, how come Rob's not coming on? Well, Rob's not the chatty one. Jim's the chatty one. So Jim, you know, he he volunteered to come on and uh, take one for the team. So uh, Rob's going to remain silent during this, and uh, it's just going to be an interview with Jim. So we, but we got to give props to Rob, of course, of being the other half of Bo Weaver. So these guys are based, get this, on the Isle of Wight. Now, if you look up the Isle of Wight, let's look that up. In fact, let's just here. I think this is a uh, this is from some travel guide o- online here. Uh, The Isle of Wight is an island off the south coast of England. It's known for its beaches and seafront promenades such as Sandy Shanklin Beach and south-facing Vintner Beach, which is dotted with vintage beach huts. Dinosaur remains and fossils can be seen in areas like Compton Bay and Yaverland Beach. I'm probably completely mispronouncing that. On the island's western point, the Needles are are three huge white chalk rocks guarded by a 19th century lighthouse. So... Jim actually has to take a ferry from the mainland to get to the island. So anything, any gear he buys, any um, any groceries. Well, I mean, they have groceries and such on the island. It's not like he lives, you know, in the middle of nowhere. But it is a little remote, for sure. So um, the Isle of Wight is also known for um, the Isle of Wight Music Festival, which happens every year. And of course, out of that, over the years, there's come, you know, of course, Leonard Cohen did a live album there, The Who. I think there's some Jimi Hendrix recordings out of there. I'm, I'm not exactly sure about the Jimi Hendrix side of that. Uh, the one that's most prominent to me, of course, is is The Who. So uh, that was from 1970. Anyways, Jim Holmes coming up here on the Working Class Audio podcast from the Isle of Wight. And a little music news for you that uh, I have to report that uh, is really pissing me off that I just think is stupid. And I, I'll sum it up for you. And our, I got to thank uh, John Cunaberti, former WCA guest John Cunaberti, for posting this on Facebook and uh, making this known to uh, those of us who aren't paying 
as close of attention to this as we should. But uh, the Florida Supreme Court has ruled that oldies recordings are public domain. So in other words, they're saying, and, and I'm, I'm reading bits and pieces off of the article here from uh, Digital Music News. I'll include a link to it in the uh, show notes, of course. But it, it's a, they're effectively saying that recording copyrights did not exist before 1972. I'm not going to read you the article. So go and check it out. Go read it. I'll, like I say, I will post it in the show notes. But as a concept, I know that you all are aware that we as recording professionals cannot survive on just us talking about ourselves and, you know, just going in a little circle and chasing our tails. We, we, it just, it's not an island. We cannot survive unless we have uh, music to record, dialogue to record. Uh, game sound effects, game, you know, music for any of mu music for movies, music for games, all of these things, we play a supporting role and we've got to support the creatives that help us because otherwise we just don't really, um, we can exist and we can just make it a big hobby. But if you want to stay in the game and you want to stay making money, doing what you love doing, being a recording professional, We've got to be aware of issues like this, and we've got to uh, stand up for our fellow musicians that uh, are out there busting their ass trying to do stuff. So, yeah, read the article. It's just, it's ridiculous, in my opinion. So, that's that. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Just check the article out. So, I hope AES was good for those of you that went. I'm sure many of you got your, your exercise, those of you that wear Fitbits and get your 10,000 steps in and all that. But uh, if you want to check out what... Uh, what some of the highlights are, of course, head on over to uh, gearsluts.com and check out the AES highlights. And just a reminder, uh, Universal Audio is doing another promo, an Apollo Rack promo. If you buy one of those, you're going to get a free satellite uh, box to add to the deal. And that expires on December 31st, 2017. So head on over to uaudio.com to check that out. Hey, and if it's been some time since you've been on over to the uh, Working Class Audio website, head on over to workingclassaudio.com. I do have a list of recommendations there, and these are products I use, books I've read, uh, suggestions for uh, you know financial tools. There's, uh, of course, Backblaze for backing up. There's a list of books. Of course, there's uh, Sylvia Massey's book in that list and uh, Michael Beinhorn's book. Be sure to check those out. Uh, there's, a, you know, there's some financial things, of course, Betterment for uh, retirement. Uh, Mint for managing your finances, and uh, one of my favorite blogs, Mr. Money Mustache, just for you know getting it together for uh, with your money, and uh, of course audio software, uh, SonarWorks, which I love and, and use to this day, which has been great, and uh, just a, a few other links and ideas of uh, things that might help you out. So be sure to check that out. That's at WCA Recommends at the Working Class Audio website. Well, that's it. Let's get on with it. Let's talk to our friend Jim Holmes all the way in the Isle of Wight here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Well, welcome to the podcast officially. Thank you very much. For the listeners, uh, you are all the way in the Isle of Wight in England. Yep. Can you give us a sense of uh, where that's at? So if if you know where London is, so London is yep. kind of so southeast, we are 75 miles ish down from there 75 miles get a boat and then you're on the isle of wight it's at the very 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 bottom of the uk 
So, and it's like 26 miles across, I think, something like that. I think there's a, maybe 300,000 people. It's lots of farms, lots of kind of uh, not very well attended social things. <laughs> it's just, a, it's an island. It's, it's exactly what you're imagining it to be like. It's, it's great, a lovely place. And when we say take a boat, are we saying take a ferry? Yeah, yeah. Well, you can get here. Okay. It's it's officially. Well, I don't know about officially anymore, but a little while ago, it was the most expensive stretch of water in the world because it's only I think seven eight miles, but it costs it would cost you you know a hundred quid to get your car across or twenty five thirty quid to get across. So it's really really expensive to get to, but it's lovely. It's wonderful. I grew up here, and then I left to go away and and be young and adventurous, and came back when I was. 26 or something like that. So I, I like it. I really, really like it here. So when you're transporting gear or sh- or having gear shipped, let's say you order something, I don't know, do you use UPS or FedEx? Yeah, everything, everything you can imagine is more expensive to get to here. So even though we've got like a the, the very bottom of the UK, there's Southampton and Portsmouth. We've got a Portsmouth postcode, but still it will be an extra 50, 60 quid on top of the normal sort of delivery to get here just because of the magic stretch of expensive water it's in, it's an incredible it's, it's very annoying well something magical happens to it as you cross the water right <laughs> well this is how i get people here <laughs> i tell them that i tell them that about their music hey yeah yeah come here actually do you know what to be fair that word magical is actually what a lot of people kind of they say back to me the idea that you're you going on a trip, you know, you have to pack and get on a boat or, 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 or hovercraft or whatever to get here. It's nice. That's the separation that people like. They feel like they're going somewhere to make a record. It's not they're nipping out, you know, to another studio in London. It's it's an event. It's an actual, you know, you have to travel. It's 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 good. That's one of the things that pulls people here, I think. So we've been we've been having conversations now for for a time mm-hmm. here on Facebook through the messenger here. And what I understand is, is that you do this studio on the Isle of Wight with your brother. Mm-hmm. You produce under a common name for the two of you. Yeah. And of course, that common name being Bo Weaver. What happened was, if I go right back, right, right, right back. So when we were younger, we did that whole classic thing of being, you know, in covers bands together when we were like 15, 16, something like that. And then this was... This is sort of in the grunge era, you know, Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and all that. I've got a Pearl Jam tattoo that I got when I was like 16, <laughs> which looks just dreadful at this point. It looks so bad. But anyway, it's good to say I have it. And uh, so we did that. And then I went off to university and we and the other the other one from Bowie, the, my brother, he kind of kept doing studios and things. And then I think around 2003, 2004, we, we did some some demos just to get together, do a bit of music for a bit of fun. And out of nowhere, we just signed. We just signed like a major label deal, which was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. We had, I think, five songs, no band. And so we had to get a band together. The head of the label, uh, Island Records, so Universal, came to the Isle of Wight to see us. And I think two weeks later after that, we had this deal, which was Hmm. just ridiculous. So we spent a couple of years being in that band until eventually... uh, we could see that it wasn't going to work. Everyone else, all, the rest of the band kind of bought trainers and cars and, and lots of sort of fun things. We just spent it all on gear, all on audio gear to make our records and all of that. So when the band finished, we thought, well, okay, well, we can either go back to what we were doing before or just make a, make a go of it. So we have this, our studio is a water tower. It's like on Queen Victoria's land on the island. 
So it's like a Victorian water tower. It's a huge, huge old building. So we just set that up and we've kind of been here ever since. But what we've found is that because we are separated, we can't go down the, the usual channels. The thing, you know, we can't go to, well, we could, but it's harder to go to, you know, mixers in London and kind of like just pop into a label and like, oh, hi, you know, it, there's no passing trade here. So we worked out really, really early on. And to combat it, what we did is, I think maybe around 2000, let's say 2008, something like that, we, we were lucky enough to sign a, a publishing deal, which gave us quite a bit of money from the old band stuff and things. And we are like, right, okay, well, rather than go silly and, you know, buy a Neve or something, let's, uh, let's just give ourselves a wage for a, a year, a couple of years, and see where we can get with this thing. Let's really do it. So we paid ourselves some money, and then we just made a nuisance of ourselves within the UK industry. We just did every job we could for, you know, on spec for a whole year. It was literally a year. We just did, I think we did like something like 30, 35 acts on spec with everyone just to get that name kind of going in the industry. Even at the time, we knew it was a suspect thing to do. You know, you never work for free and all that. But it worked. Mm -hmm. It worked for us. We just, we did remix after remix and then that led on to get an occasional mix job, which then led to a few production jobs. And I think it was almost, let's say, 15, 16 months after we started, we we landed our first proper production job. And we've just done it ever since. It was it was a, a long kind of scary year where quite often we looked at each other and thought, what are we doing? You know, but it worked. And so and here we are all these years later still doing it. So it's good. It's good for us. That was a really smart move. You know, you could have spent all that money on yeah. gear. And easily as well. We were really lucky. When we were with this band, uh, I wouldn't even bother mentioning the name because we were such a flash in the pan. It's, it's irrelevant. But we, we were lucky enough that early on in our career, we went to Olympic, the old Olympic, to have um, uh, Chenzo Townsend mix one of our very first tracks. And Chenzo, as I'm sure you know, is, just this, is a wonderful guy, lo a lovely, lovely guy. And he was so open with us about gear and things. And I think at the time he just set up a studio with Stephen Street. They they did like a almost like a portable studio for a while. And they went down the whole um, IZ radar and Audient route. That's what they did. Audient were brand new then, you know, and it was the right. radar... V, I think, something like that. And we spoke to him. And so we kind of, after a couple of weeks of kind of to and fro, and that's what we did. We bought a, a big 48-channel audience. I can remember it now. It's huge. And f two radars, a 48-channel of radar. And we ran that for years, years and years and years. We, we resisted Pro Tools for a really, really long time. But because we had this good advice, this gear sort of, it just lasted. And it, it, and it sounded great. I don't know what, you know, people think of radar, but we loved radar. It didn't. Cr it crashed on us like twice in six years or something. It was so reliable, and I still now go back to some of the mixes that we did then, and, and I'm like, God, that sounds really good. What's you know what was it? And maybe it was the the mixing on an analog board. Maybe it's radar. But anyway, it sounded good. So because we spent wisely early, I suppose it the, it just lasted, and and we were really able to use that for. Like I say, we must have had that set up without adding anything to it for a good five years, which was perfect. So there was no more outlay. We were in there and we could say, hey, that band, you know that band you've just signed, send them down to us. You know, we'll put them in a B&B &B and we can charge you just a nominal rate for them to come down. But of course, if it goes well, then they, the record, they get to go onto their full album. You're in the running. You know, you're continually throwing your hat in the ring. And that, that's what we 
really liked about it. And it, we still, to be honest, kind of work that way now. We st- we're very lucky in that we get a lot of jobs. But if we see a band that we like, or we hear of someone that we like, I'm not against at all contacting the label and saying, hey, I think your band are great. I'm you know, happy to do send them down to the island. Let's just see what happens. And actually, over the last, say, couple of years, that's how we've got nearly all of our bigger jobs is by doing that. Always do a little test session, two, three days, just to know whether the band like us, whether we think it's going to work. And at the moment, touch wood, it seems to be working. So we're not changing the way we do things. You take kind of a disadvantage, the disadvantage being you're remote, you're in the Isle of Wight. You know, as far as many people would be concerned, that that's kind of a pain in the ass to get to. Yeah. But you take that disadvantage and you turn it into kind of a magical thing, as you said. It's like, send them down to the Isle of Wight, you know, have your band come down here. Yeah. And we'll do our thing. It becomes almost like a... Uh, a thing that the label people say to themselves, well, why don't we send them down to the aisle? You know, uh, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And I'll tell you for free, I don't think that we've done an act in the last five years where the A&R man hasn't had to come down for a couple of days. Everyone wants to come. They always do. Like, oh, I'll probably, towards the end of the week, I'll probably come down for a couple of days. It's like, oh, you just want a holiday in the Isle of Wight? That's fine. That's fine by me. I can't explain enough. There's there's towns here, you know, there, there, there's all the things that a city would have, but there's, it's all so small. So when when, pe- when bands come here, they're not distracted by a fantastic nightlife or, you know, going out and getting hammered or all that. We, me and Rob have religiously since the beginning worked nine to five, nine to six. We don't do late sessions. It just doesn't work for us. It's never, ever worked for us. We've, we've run, mm-hmm. always we've run that way. So then the bands of an evening, they don't find themselves kind of going out, getting trashed. They find themselves, you know, going along a you know 10 15 mile sort of coastline and the next morning they they they're great they're all kind of chilled and relaxed and it has that effect we, yes we don't the biggest problem is we don't get what i would call a, a walk-in job in the you know oh such and such has got to redo a a, a mid late vocal can they just come into the studio for an hour we don't have any of that which is a shame because that's good easy quick money i suppose from running a studio point of view but as long as you get the planning right and you're good with your time, which we sort of are mostly, you can get everything we need to do on the island in a set amount of time. We pick them up from the boat. We take them back there on the day they're done. And it's great. It's it's, it's, it's just really nice. Plus, you don't get people just wandering in, which is the other thing. You don't. You never have a label going, I'm just going to pop in, you know, with this act. It, it doesn't happen because it's not long. It only takes... Uh, and say an hour and a quarter in a car from London. It's not that much, really, and another twenty minutes on the boat. But there's, it's, it, it feels separated enough that you're, you're at a destination, and you can really put the, the blinkers on and focus on the music you're making without getting distracted by, you know, oh, let's go and see that cool band tonight, or this, that, or the other, because, because it's just not here. Yeah, well, it causes everybody to focus, and it causes everybody to think a little more deeply about what you're doing. I would say. We see it in people. We see that they come here and if they've come the night before a session, by the time the first session, the first day of the first session starts, they seem calm already. And you see them kind of get calmer and calmer. And and one thing that we're quite proud of is that, as we all know, sessions can get fraught, especially if you're doing bands with lots of members or, you know, there's a tight deadline. That doesn't seem to exist here. Again, touch wood, it doesn't seem to happen. People are 
they, they, they just have a reaction to being out the city and being sort of tucked away where everything, and me and Rob are quite sort of slow, <laughs> I'd like to say passive people. And, and, and it rubs off, the environment rubs off on everyone. And very rarely do people get het up. You know, it, it, and I think that is a testament to the sort of the laid back nature of the island. Everything's slow here. Everything is slow. If I, if we wanted to get a cab, it would take an hour to get here. It's, it's, everything is slow. And, and that's annoying in some ways, but when you're making music, like you say, it's fantastic because you just, you focus and you worry about the music. You know, you, people quite often when they're here, they say things like, do you know what? I don't think I've ever spent this long thinking about this song before. And it's like, oh, well, well, firstly, why? Why not? But also, that's great. I'm I'm glad that you feel that you have the headspace to be able to really dig in, you know. And 800 meters that way, there's like Queen Victoria's house is just there, you know. And there's all the the wonderful gardens. And if, if people can just like, do you know what? I've had enough of John the bass player. He's winding me up. I'm going to go and look around this, you know, this wonderful house. It's it's lovely. It's really nice. That's a great transition. I wanted to ask you about this because this is uh, the studio is located. Uh, on the estate of Queen Victoria's Osborne House. Yeah. And inside a converted uh, uh, water tower. Yeah. So first of all, okay, let me work backwards. So the studio is literally inside a water tower? Yeah. So it's um, it's 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 a three-story building. It's about, I think, we're, we're about 1,500 square foot of floor. We've got three floors. Um, but it's the very top floor is just filled with I think it's like a 65 ton steel tank that was used to be the water supply for the whole kind of area and and well, in particular Queen Victoria's house so it's it's all owned by the Queen it's actually owned by the Crown our building so it's like beyond listed and we have to have certain people from the Crown come and check it out a few times a year two guys called Richard who we lovingly call the two dicks that have to come down you know? and um, but the the, the it's it's a it's such a brilliant vibe. I wish I could walk you around it. So it's not like how you'd imagine, like a, almost like a steel or a metal water tower. It's a big building. The walls are, I think, they're two layered, so they're already. I think they've got to be nearly four and a half, five foot thick. I'd say so. Sound just doesn't come in, just doesn't go out. Um, it's the only problem we have is that it's on two floors. So where I am now, this is our bigger control room. And our live room is downstairs. So we've got the whole kind of camera thing, which after 10 or so years, we're deeply frustrated with now. But you get over it, you know. I spend my day running up and down a, a you know, a Victorian staircase. <laughs> but it's um, it's great because it's just on the, it's in, on the corner of this, uh, like, estate. No one bothers us. L- no one knows where we are. There's no sign to here there's just a green door that quite literally you would walk past if you didn't notice here and because it's so thick you can't hear us from outside and we're we're completely anonymous we love it that way and we we fight quite hard to keep it that way too is the 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 water tank on the third floor is that what you said yeah it's so bottom floor here is a smaller control room and a Mm -hmm. uh, live room which is probably about We've just made it smaller, so I think it's about 900 square foot or something like that. And then the second floor is this bigger control room here with like a, a a separate vocal booth and the kitchen and all of that. And then directly above me now, there's a there's the the original tank, which is probably yeah, I think it's 60 plus tons, and it's empty. But unfortunately, we can't do anything with it. We can't really get to it. We did rig it up. I know what you're going to ask, and we did rig it up as as a, a chamber. We did, uh, and it took <laughs> forever to do because the hole to get up there 
is this sort of big. So we had to take, you know, all of the things up in bits and then remake the speakers and the, and, and the mics and all that. And it took us oh, maybe a week to then run all the wiring and get it all right. And then you, I don't know if you've ever done this where you like, okay, let's, it's a snare. I test everything with the snare. I don't know what's my problem, but it's, it's always a snare. And we sort of did the first hit and it's like, oh, that sounds just fucking awful. It's like, right, okay, so what do we do? <laughs> and we tried everything to make this room sound good, but it's just it's just not good. It's People say, well, what does it sound like? And I say, it sounds like a big empty metal tank. There's no beauty to it. There's no kind of long lingering reverb. It just sounds like someone, you know, kicking a van. So it's... Um, Sadly, it's not of, of, of any use to us. It's just it's just up there the whole time, kind of just ominously sitting, <laughs> empty. Yeah, oh yeah, it's empty. Yeah, it's no one's been in there since like the, the well, I've been in there because I had to go in there. I had to, but no one's been up there really to muck around since the sort of forties, fifties. No, you know, no one goes up there at all. It's 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 a brilliantly inspiring environment because I guarantee that no one's been to a Victorian water tower to make music before. <laughs> It doesn't happen. It's not like oh, I'm going to go into another prefabbed beige studio. You know, with, it, it, it's very, it's very different here, and um, a lot of people like that. Apart from the fact it's freezing cold in the winter and it's boiling hot in the summer. I, I can't even imagine how one gets to rent a space like this in a in a place that belongs to the crown. And how does that work? L- luck. Just all pure luck. So before, so I when we were teenagers, I, th- I think I've mentioned already, we 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 were um in in a few little bands, and some a friend of a friend knew the then owner of the site. This is a really big site. It used to be a naval college, and so um, it was abandoned. I think from like the early eighties, uh, no one was here, and this these these people we knew had bought the site, and they let us come in to rehearse. Oh, use that room there. Yeah, it's 5,000 square foot. Just go and rehearse there. And they were really cool about it. And then eventually they started opening up all the buildings that were boarded up. And this was one of them. And someone had broken in like a few months before and literally had a bonfire in this the room I'm sat in now. It was kind of like squatted in. It was mad. It still had five five foot meat hooks hanging from the ceiling because they stored the meat in here because of the cold. So, uh, and we were just looking around it and we sort of said, hey want to rent this out you know and and uh they went for it and so we were the very first people on this site and uh and now it's been all developed you've got you know dhl down there and there's watchmakers and and, and loads loads the whole site is filled now but we were here at the beginning so we've just kept quiet paid our rent on time and they let us stay that's the truth of it it comes with its own set of worries that they can do what they want rent wise you know if they decide to just double the rent they can, and because it's quite hard to argue with the Queen about things like that, she does. She doesn't exactly pick up the phone. So, um, but apart, <laughs> apart from that, we have to have the floor a certain colour. It has to be this particular red, and the doors have to be a particular green. Apart from that, it's pretty easy. Oh, I say that the law is anything that's built has to be able to come down in a day. So this control room I'm sat in now, even though it's fully floating, and it's 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 done really really beautifully. It's all done with wood and screws and if i had to if i really had to we could get it down in a day i wouldn't i'd just leave but still that that's it's all part of our lease that everything has to come down really quickly it's funny and you call the studio studio humbug yeah it's had so many different names it, it we, we we kind of 
we had a first batch of work where we went under maybe a few different names and it used to be called Studio Luca uh, for for a little while. And then we took a rest from doing, we, we got really into sort of major label stuff like without wanting to be crude, maybe music that was great to, to work on from a monetary point of view, but not really good for the soul. And, and we kind of mm. did a lot of that for, for a while. And we got to a point where we were looking at each other. It's like, I can't do this. I can't open up another Pro Tools session with a click and I, I just can't do it. So we, we rather than pack it all in, we, we took ourselves out. This is about three years ago now and just did library albums for like two years. We went up to see EMI and KPM and said, hey, we can do music. Can we do? Uh, can we do some library albums? And, and and they agreed. So we spent a couple of years just putting on these different hats every week and doing like say uh, an Americana record for them, or then we would do like a, a retro soundtrack record or uh, you know world music. And it was fantastic. We did it for a couple of years, and then we were like, okay, I think we've done enough of that now because it was just me and Rob in a room for two years. And we were like, let's go back to it. And when we did that, we thought, well, let's change the name, let's change everything up. So the new humbug came up. Don't even remember why now, but it's it's memorable. Apart from the fact, we seem to be the only people in the world that call it Studio Humbug, not Humbug Studio. I don't know why it it, it annoys people. I don't know why that's so annoying to people, but everyone seems to get annoyed about that. Jim Holmes here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Just want to pause for a second and give a shout out to one of our big sponsors, uh, Audio Technica, who has been with us uh, since early on. And uh, almost three years, actually. So uh, just if you haven't been over to the website, audio-technica.com, you know I'm a big fan of the headphones, big fan of the BP40 here, which I'm speaking to you on. Uh, So check that out. Uh, Of course, you know, many microphones that they've made that many of us have, many too many to list, of course, here in this show. But uh, you can have a complete list of them over at audio-technica.com. So... Well, let's get back into it with our friend Jim Holmes in the Isle of Wight here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. You talked about when acts come to you, you put them up in a in a, in a B and B. So obviously, there's there is other business are other businesses on the Isle of Wight. Oh yeah, so that you can interact with them. It, it's 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 like um, a lot of people come to the Isle of Wight to die. <laughs> I don't know another way to say it. There, there is a lot of very old people on the island, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating a lot. So because of that, there's a lot of like coach tours come here, and so you have quite literally hundreds and hundreds of hotels and B and Bs, and you know you can stay in an airstream or a converted scout hut, or it, there are so many options here that that's another fun element to it. You know when they say, "Oh, have you got a list of places we can stay?" And it's like, "Yeah, I can give you a list everywhere from a yurt to a, you know, qu- quite literally a castle." So it, it, that that's fantastic, and again, it just adds to the whole the mystique of it. And now with with Airbnb being the way it is, it's just so simple now. There's loads of great kind of rural places. If, you know, if they say, "Oh, we want to come and stay in a farmhouse," it's that's fine. I can give you five you can choose from. You know, and it's hmm. nice. Again, it's just really different from a city, which is what we kind of lean on. You know, I just spoke uh, day before yesterday with. Uh, do you know Dom Morley? Dom Morley? No, I don't think I'm terrible with names. Okay, he worked at Metropolis with uh, Mark Ronson. Okay, and uh, he did uh, the Amy Winehouse Back in Black record mm-hmm. and. Uh, Anyways, he was at Metropolis for a period of time, and then he now has a, a place about forty minutes outside of London. Right. Okay. 
it's a, kind it's of in a, the middle of nowhere. Well, it's it's the way to do it. Even uh, uh, I know you've just uh, been to the mix of the masters with with Chad Blake. He's the same. He's out out in really rural Wales. You know, it's completely doable. Yeah. Quite a lot of the people on the roster that me and Rob uh, are on. Um, if they're mixers, not necessarily the producers, but if they're mixers, that I don't think any of them are on are in London anymore. They've all just come right out because you can now. It's it's not a problem, you know. And they have these converted rooms at the back of their houses, and 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 that's sort of that's how they they do it. Being in a city is fantastic for the networking and all of that, and being able to just go and see the latest hit band. But being able to come away like we do is just brilliant. The the problem we have, the bigger problem is like. Someone from a label is like, oh, we've got this fantastic band. You know, you should come and meet them, come and see them. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, great. That's going to take me a day. I've got to stop my work at 12 to get on a, a boat, to get up there, to watch what's normally quite a bad 25-minute set, to then travel back down again. You see, that's the only thing that's a bit of a problem. Or if someone, I'm sure you've had this where a label or a management, they have to have a meeting in person, has to. And you go all the way there for what ends up being a completely pointless meeting. That's when it gets annoying because it's, it's just, it's just time. It's, it's, it's time. But for every, everything else, I think it's a really great move being out of the city. It's just, it's just lovely. Well, the, the idea really, really intrigues me in many ways, but how do you keep from st- from becoming isolated? Because I mean, you get into this place that's, you know, so, uh, beautiful and and remote, and it would be very easy to start to just disassociate with everything that's going on. How do you keep the world coming into your world? Well, it's it's definitely been something that we've had to learn how to do and work at because for a period of time we did do exactly that. We're quite comfortable here in our funny little water tower doing this li- library music, you know, and we had to think, okay, look, if we want to get back into this, we've got to get back back up to London and we did that and we still had a lot of uh, kind of contacts from before so when we decided to go back up and do it we just went to see a few key people and put our faces in there again and luckily some quite long good jobs came from that but we also the other big change we made and it's not anything clever is we just got really good management and our management are right in the centre of London and they're very well respected and they are hungry and they they just they're just continually shouting our name that's the best that's the best way to put it and we've kind of we can sit back a little bit because because they're up there mentioning us all the time to people we don't necessarily have to be we can sort of sit back here and really focus on getting the work right so i'm not you know spending half the week up in pointless meetings i can be down here making sure that that job i took on i'm doing it as good as i can i'm really presenting something that i'm happy with and i'm not kind of cutting any corners and that that's been fantastic it's only been this year that we've had uh, new management and it's just it's just worked out brilliantly for us really really good god i have so many questions about that and especially about the world of i mean essentially the music industry in the uk is itself by, from my perception, is its own self-contained thing that can choose to remain UK-centric or or European-centric, and only when it desires to, uh, it seems, needs to branch out to America. So as far as management's concerned, what is their role for you? What what do they primarily get you acts that are 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 UK centric or European centric? I would I would say it's I, it's changing. It is definitely changing. The, that that world 
it, it is becoming smaller. Definitely when we were a signed act, it was very much, well, there's no point in uh, releasing anywhere else till you've broken the UK. You know, and you do that first, and then maybe we'll do, um, you know, uh, Europe, and then maybe America. That that was always the way it was done. But I think now with with streaming and Spotify and things like that, it, it's a lot more kind of global from the off, which is which is great. But we still, at the moment, we work on some European acts. But I would say that you're right; it's still mostly UK stuff. But that's probably because of the style of music we do. I think we we do very much um, kind of guitar led almost almost uh it's indie it's indie guitar music kind of thing and so there's quite a lot of people doing that over your way and not so many that do it here so it, it we we're doing okay at the moment with the uk acts i think i we i would love to come over to america is the truth of it I mean, we we both would you know i i think hmm. it would be it would be um a fantastic thing and we're basically sat here waiting for the right opportunity, and we will. We have a, a, a good friend um, who who went back, who went over to the states, and is in I think San Francisco now, and he's just about to move to LA, and it, it's just going so well for him. He's really, really enjoyed the transition kind of thing. So I would say that at the minute we're okay doing the UK stuff, but it is something that maybe we aspire to. I don't know if that's the right word, but we do aspire to come over to the States and do some stuff because a lot of the music that we grew up listening to and the music that we really like is pretty much all American music. So we feel, I don't know, one day soon is, is, is the short answer. I'd like to come over there. But our management, yeah, they, they manage some American acts, uh, sorry, some American producers. So it is it is over. We've, we're on the same roster as uh, like Jackknife Lee and um, Michael Brower's just joined as well. So there, there are some Americans, you, you know, on our roster, but not. we haven't done anything over there just yet. Did you gain a lot of your uh, prestige within the UK music world from your days as a band, or do you think you, you've gained more of it as producers, engineers? Well, we weren't a very good band. <laughs> we, 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 we were... So the the band thing is a funny one because we I don't know if you've ever come across this we we had maybe 10 15 songs that were one way and then just a couple of songs that were slightly other way and the label liked the slightly other way so they signed us hoping well I know they've got these other sort of, sort of almost proggy rock songs but maybe they'll do a few more of these more these more poppy tunes so when when we signed we spent 2 years on the label just not agreeing with them and, and not, not getting it right at all. They didn't really understand us. We didn't really understand them. And so any any kind of, uh, any notoriety we have is from doing this, not the band. No one, no one really remembers our band. But the, it does bring up an interesting point that me and Rob, because we've been on the other side of the glass, so to speak, we do have a really interesting perspective on it. And also we, we really, as much as we can, we try to work with emerging bands, breaking bands. That's what, what we really like. Bands that maybe it's their, they've just been signed and this is their first album or it's their first EP. That's that's where we thrive. We really like that. Help finding, you know, helping a band kind of find their own truth, their own voice. That's, that, that's what we really enjoy. But we've got this quite unique sort of skill set in that I can explain to them almost in bullet points, how to fuck up a major label deal if they want. I know how to do it. I've done it. I've been there. I've <laughs> I've been signed quickly and then spent two years wrecking a deal by just not playing the game, not, not being savvy enough at the time. And a, a lot of the time, 
we can offer kind of uh, honest advice to them and say, look, you know, I know that the label is saying this and you don't necessarily agree, but choose your battles. You know, maybe don't argue on that. Don't argue on the the background to the CD on the, you know, the EP artwork. Argue about when your album comes out. Pick your battles. And I think a lot of the time we, we get on so well with the bands because we know how it feels to be in their position, just to be sat there and be so nervous. Like, well, what are we doing? Would the label like it? I don't think the A&R man likes me, you know. We've been there. So we can kind of just have that quiet word while we're having a cup of tea and say, hey, don't worry about it. It's just music. We say that a lot here. It's just music. Don't worry about it. Tell me what role your management plays. Do they actually get you work? Yeah, they do. It's it, So I would say that it's more reactive. You know, if so we've, we've just been last year and sort of some of this year and actually next week we've been doing a, an act and uh, he's doing very well and that's brought about he's but he's a singer songwriter solo singer songwriter so he comes down and we put the band around him for recording and all, and such and such stuff and because that's gone well they've been able to kind of um, they've had a lot of offers in for similar jobs I'm sure this happens all the time so they've been reactive to that and they've managed to get a lot of work in like that and we're just coming to the end of that now. So we're kind of saying to our management, hey, you know, that's been lovely this year, working on lots of singer-songwriters and solo acts. But we'd really like to do some some filthy bands now. I'd really like to do, you know, you know, where, where are the new, I don't know, Sonics or something? I'd, li- I'd like that. So now they're kind of looking around for us for, for that next job. And in that respect, they're, they're, they're brilliant. It's, it's really good. I've always been slightly dubious of, of management and things feeling not not in a control freak kind of way but when you have to give so much from your end it, it's difficult to then release the business side of it i always think you know it's like it's, it's if you trust them which we do trust ours implicitly that's fantastic because you don't have to worry about it but it took us a long time to do that just to relax and just know that they were doing it right because if you've been out on your own like we were for so long you get you get used to just doing everything, chasing every invoice and, and, and all of that. And for the first few months of being signed with our our new management, I would still make the occasional cheeky phone call to the, the A&R. Hey, did, you know, did you get the invoice? Oh, good, 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 good. You know, just checking up. I couldn't couldn't help myself. You know, it's just it's just it's a transition, isn't it? It's, it's, the, it's that whole self-employed mentality. You just the buck stops for so long. The buck stops with us. There's no one else. Right. You know, and so to 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 release those shackles took us a while to, to be able to be trusting enough, but it's good. I'm, I'm, I'm 91% relaxed about it now. I would say never a hundred percent. I think that, that, that would just be a mistake. How did you get your management? Did they approach you or did you approach them? No, we, we, we started to do a few jobs that we are very proud of, not necessarily from a, a, a status point of view. We, we we liked what we were doing. We felt like, actually, some of the music we're doing recently has been good. You know, I, I'm really proud of it. So we just got together a playlist of things that we liked and we uh, made a couple of calls. Just There's not that many, like, there's not that many producer agents here. There's probably... I don't know, 10 at the most, I would say. There's not there's not a great deal. Ten, 10 of worth, let's say. And so we spoke to a, a lot. We spoke to all of them, I would guess. And a lot of them give you the classic, oh, you know, hey, we quite like it, but we're very busy. It's like, okay, all right, not to worry. And we did that for maybe four or five months, I think, until we came across a few um, quite big rosters that liked what we were doing 
and we went up for meetings and we actually ended up in a position where we we had an offer from an, another big roster with big scary producers on it really you know and but we'd met previously our now manager and we just really really liked her we liked everything about her and so we had an offer in from this big roster and before we signed it, we just said, look, let's just make one last call. She's called Jill Hollywood, our manager. And we said, let's just make one last phone call to Jill. We did said, look, we've got this offer on the table. We're not trying to, we're not trying to one-up anyone. We're not trying to be clever, but we'd like to be with you. Is there any way you could do it? And she and she said, Well, I'm very busy, but let me bring in almost like a second manager to help me out. And that's how we got on the roster. That's that's the truth of it. So we have two managers. There's Jill and the Echo Beach management, and then we have uh, another guy that uh, it's like a, I suppose a co-manager that p- pitches in as well. So it's it's good, but it wasn't easy. I don't. I think it's really hard to get on a roster now because there's so many producers. <laughs> it's crazy. Everyone's a producer or an engineer, it, like quite literally everyone. So to be able to get on there and just just to get your head just above the crowd so that they notice you. That was that was the hardest thing, and we did it by slowly getting better at our job. Our work was getting better, 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 until the point we were proud enough to sit in a room and really sell our case and go, look, I'm going to play you this and it's great and this is why I think it's great. And I guess that the confidence sold it, I suppose. And maybe our snare sound. I like our snare sound generally. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's really interesting. Um, the world of management... Uh, is confusing to me sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, God, I, that that sure would be nice. And other times I'm like, I don't want anybody else representing me. Sure, it's- sure. Well, I think that you have to be, it's, it's kind of touching on what I was saying, that you have to be so sure of them. And actually, without mentioning any names at all, that was what the problem we had with one of these bigger rosters that we were speaking to is that they were great and they were big and powerful and scary, but we didn't feel connected with them, especially as as as, as people. Um, they were lovely, don't get me wrong, really lovely. But we kind of, we went up to a meeting, we drove back to the island and we couldn't find any almost anything positive to say about them. And that's when we knew it can't be right because they're the, they're going to be the first pe- people that anyone meets. You know, that's that's the face of us, if you like, especially because we're disconnected like this. But we, we just liked, as they say over here, the cut of Jill's jib so much that we were like, I'd be happy for her to walk into any situation and be the face of us. And I know she'll say exactly the right thing and she gets us. I think one of the biggest things is that a lot a lot of the time when people hear what me and Rob do, they're quite quick to say, oh, I like it. But, you know, maybe if you if you were to put a slight pop edge on it or if you were to start triggering off some more kind of samples under it, you know, it could be a bit more commercial. And our thing's always been, that's fine. We'll do that if we have to. But it's not what we want. We don't want to do that. We like what we're producing. And... And Jill just understood that straight away. And she sort of said, well, no, I think that you are you should be in this world. And I think you should be dealing with working with these sort of acts. And without having any prior conversation, she she nailed it. We had the same references and et cetera, et cetera. So we felt totally comfortable. And at this point now, we're almost a year in, I think. And it's it's going well. But the, the one thing that I just want to be really clear about is it's just, it's not easy it's still, even with management, people think it's the same as when you get a band in. And they're like, oh, we signed a deal, we've done it. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 dude, you've signed a deal, it's just about to start. Like, it's like, you know, we say it a lot to people. It's like, when people freak out and in the early parts of the recording, we try and say to them, look, try and enjoy this. Because I promise you that it's just going to get harder. At the minute, you're doing your, you're recording your first ever record. Try and soak up all of the memories you can and enjoy it. Because as soon as you start having 
you know, toilet tours and really kind of difficult deadlines, it, it's going to be hard. You know, it, it really is. Rob and I have never had anything come to us easily. We've always had to work at it, everything. So getting the management, we had to chase around and we still have to sort of chase around for jobs and things. But I think it makes us, we're grateful. We're, we're, short, we're, we're keen to always be grateful. We know a lot of friends and a lot of friends with studios that just aren't working. It's just not it's just not happening for one reason or another. And so the fact that we've got management and the fact that we've got work makes us very grateful. And we really work hard at every job we do because of that. It's, it's, mm-hmm. to, to be honest, maybe too hard. We, we heard someone recently sort of saying that, oh, I can fin- if someone's in, if someone's famous, I'm pretty I'm pre- seeing this, but if someone's famous, I can finish a job, um, you know, in maybe two weeks. But if they're not famous, oh, I'll do it in a day. And it's like, oh, no, we don't work like that. I'll spend as much time on John from down the road as I would for, for a major label act. I don't have that filter. I'm not able to just sort of give them half my time. And if we f- ever find out that someone that we're working with has had to really struggle to get the money together or they've, you know, they've sold one of their favourite guitars to get the studio time, I-, I will break my back to give them everything. You know, I, I really will. That that's We like to... Um, Deliver for everybody. I think. I think it's the quick way to say it. What's the age difference between you and your brother? <laughs> Eighteen months. Okay. So, so not 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 long. We're 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 pretty good at it now. We we you you've got to remember that we did the whole band thing and the breakup of a band and 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 all of that. So it's never it's never really going to get any more stressful than that. But the the question that you don't even have to ask is that yeah we do row all the fucking time and we are um. We're good at it now. I don't know if you if you have anyone that you can argue with. Almost in a room full of people in this room, me and Rob can have a brutal argument in front of everyone, and no one would know we were arguing. We're at that stage. It's all these t- tiny little things that we'll just say to each other, or just a glance here and a glance there. But it it's it is a difficult thing to work with a sibling for definite. But we've just done it long enough that we're okay at it now. I think we're down to maybe one physical altercation a year. That, which is which is better than it has been. <laughs> no, I'm joking, but we 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 of course row, but it's never when you're working with someone that you've known for quite literally your whole life. It's not like working with someone else in music in that what can start off as a row about the length of a spring reverb, in two minutes can be about something that happened when you were five. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, I'm not sure. And I, I think, you know, mum loved you more. And it really, really quickly, that's the thing with it. But we're good now. Neither of us smoke anymore. So everything's just a little bit more tense. And all we do is just go and have a nice cup of tea, go and have a walk. Because that's the other advantage. There's two of us. So when we get to the point where it's like, do you know what? I can't take it anymore. One of us can just go for a walk outside and it, it's, it's all fine. Because we're, ne- we're, we're never leaving a band on their own because there's two of us. That's the beauty of it. You mentioned your work schedule. You try to keep a nine to five, nine to six schedule. Mm. I know... Um, you mentioned in one of your messages uh, you're married. So how's the work-life balance thing work for you? Yeah, it's hard. I feel like me and Rob both need to be 15 years younger. <laughs> and then this would all be so simple. It would be so simple. But Rob's married with two kids and I'm married with two kids. And so it is different. It's because we're quite strict about it. We don't work weekends at all. We, we we will not work a weekend. All of the labels know that. So we're lucky enough that if we're doing a long session, like an album session, the the the, the band can stay on the island at the weekend. That's totally up to them. But we're we're with our families and all of that. And uh, throughout the week, 
we're quite efficient in the way we work and we do a lot of planning beforehand. So like I've got a session on Monday and we're already set up here with all of the mics that I know he's going to want on the amps I know he's going to want. We're ready to go. He could walk in now and I could do it. We do a lot of that. So there's no kind of getting in at 10 o'clock and, oh, you know, line testing lines and things till 12. We, we're good to go straight away. And um, as far as the work-life balance goes with that, I think if you can, if I can get home after a day, say at six o'clock or, or seven or whatever, and feel like I gave that band my all today, I don't feel guilty. I don't feel bad about leaving them. And also very rarely do these two, 3 a.m. sessions get anything good. Not in, in, our, in our world anyway. We've done them. I and mean, it happens sometimes when you've got a crazy deadline, you do it. But very rarely do we come back in after two hours sleep and go, God, Jill, we were fucking nailing it at quarter to four this morning. That just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. <laughs> it's always like, you know, something through a boss DM2. It's just like, oh, no, look, we should just all go to bed. We're just wasting time here kind of thing. So our wives, if you were to ask this question to my wife, she'd say that I should be home more. But I know that really I should be at work more. But we, 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 we just about keep it on the balance. We have shared calendars. You know, with this whole iPhone world, my wife knows exactly what I'm doing, like sort of six weeks ahead. So it's it's all right. I'm not going to tell you that it's smooth <laughs> and, it, and it's no, easy, it but it, it's good. You know, the kid, we live because the other beauty is the island is so small that if the kids or the, our wives want to come over, they can be here in 10 minutes. You know, so nothing. It's not like we're away working much. We do go to London to work and, and other places, but mostly we're here. So we're never we're never far away. In fact, on one of the sessions we did quite recently, I had my, my daughter's four. I think she was like three at the time. She came in and she was sort of sat on the desk during a session. And then the A&R were here and was like, oh, she can press, she can do this. She can press play and record for a little while, blah, 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 blah. And she did that. And then the track ended up being used. And so she's going to have an engineering credit on the record, which I just think is hilarious. So from now on, I'm going to make sure that she comes into like every session just as a quick play and record. And she'll have this, by the time she's 18, she'll have this amazing engineering <laughs> sort of record. I like the idea of it. <laughs> I have no concept of how big or small the island is. So obviously they, they go to school on the island or do they, homeschool or? no no the, the the um it's i think it's about 20 i want to say 26 miles across and maybe 18 high I, I can't remember exactly how big it is but it's if you imagine it like a clock face 12 o'clock to seven o'clock is kind of um towns what you would call a very small rural town and then the rest of the clock is just green fields and cliffs it's all sort of farmland so it's not it's not like in the middle of you know the arse end of nowhere there there are you know there, there's cinemas and schools and, and you know we have people here sometimes and an act we worked with recently asked if he could buy socks here he's like oh I've forgotten my socks am I going to be able to buy socks it's like of course you can be able to fucking buy socks it's not the middle ages do you know what I mean? it's like there's a there's a Marks and Spencers up the road you know come on it's not that bad it's just it's what I would what we the way we describe it the most is it's it's like a city but 20 odd years behind that's it. Grunge has just stopped here, <laughs> for example. <laughs> well, internet seems to be, you know, fine. It's not too bad, considering it's over copper. It is a copper connection here. Like, but it's yeah, yeah. it's okay. And we are, yeah, like I say, I'm 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 wireless in underneath a sixty ton steel tank. It's all right. It's not it's not that bad. But it's, you the, should turn that into an antenna. 
the, well, that is how you a lot of the island does get its internet is these antennas sort of plonked up all over the place. <laughs> it's so brilliantly backward in some ways. It's 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 a wonderful place. I love it and hate it in equal measure. And that never, I don't. I rarely have a day where I'm like, yeah, the island. But I also don't have those days where I'm like, oh, oh I have to be in a city. I've, I've, I've made, I'm zen with it now. I've made my peace with it. We're almost out of time, but I really kind of want to be clear here. So the relationship with your brother yeah. in this is, he's your partner. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, I don't think over the last 10 years, we've maybe worked on two or three things separately, purely because... I think Rob was in Thailand one time or I was ill. Oh, it's probably when we were having children and we did take time off then. But we, we work together on everything and we always have done. Very, very few times do we have an outside engineer or anything like that. Rob is deeply, deeply talented as an engineer. He, he's fantastic. In fact, he could probably do it all without me. <laughs> I'm quite sure that I'm definitely the losable facet to the team. But but it's we just complement each other Excellent, excellently at this point. There's never a moment where we're not working on the song. So if we've just done a, a quite heavy drum take and it needs a little bit of tweaking here and there and a little bit of kind of editing, Rob can just turn and do that while I sort of turn to the band and say, okay, what are we thinking about bass and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, our standard way of working is that we insist, whoever comes down, we insist on doing it live, not performing it live, but we run it through live for like, like pre-production. So someone would come down. The very first thing we do is get in a room with the musicians we've brought them in and we play the song for half a day or, or whatever it would be. While that's happening, generally I'm down there making terrible suggestions and cutting out bits that don't need cutting out, etc. And Rob will be upstairs getting the drum sound. So by the time we're done with our structure, we can come upstairs and it's like, okay, how's the drum sound? And then I hear it. I'm like, yeah, it's great. Let's go. And then because we've got two rooms the same thing can happen if we get to the point where we're on guitar overdubs and I can look at the bass player and go, God, come on, let's go downstairs and, you know, run a couple of bass takes. We can do that. We can do, we're multi, multitasking, which is a fantastic way of doing it. It's really nice. And again, another reason why we're able to do a nine to five, because I trust everything he does. I don't think I've very, very rarely will I come back into a room and ask him um, and be in disagreement to what he's done and vice versa. So that's, that's a lovely position to be in. It's, it's, it, it's good. It doesn't always, always, always work, but we've just worked at it for long enough now that we have our particular skill sets. And the other thing is we mix together, which is, that's the other strange thing that, again, very rarely is it just one one of us that will do a mix. And that's when it gets a bit interesting because you, you may have a slightly different vision and you have to be able to, bet between the pair of us, really um, be able to make them understand what you wanted, if that, if that makes any sense. We've done it for so long to the point now where quite often it works, in, a mix will go in exactly this routine. So let's say, let's say it's a, a five-piece indie band or something. We will start, the, I will clean the, if we've produced it as well as mi mixing it, I will clean the session up because I'm a bit like that. I'll clean it up. Rob will sit on it afterwards. He'll do the drums and the bass because we, we always go low end up. He'll do the drums and bass. I'll then come in and I will sit in, you know, keys, guitars, any kind of effects and things like that. Then we will sit together, balance it up, and then we put the vocal on together at the end. That's how we mix everything, absolutely everything. And I know it's a really Im impractical and improper way of doing it, but it works for us. And we're kind of at the point where we don't feel we need to change it. It's, it's, it's great. Yeah. Because again, while he's doing the drums, I don't want to 
particularly listen to a, a kick drum being EQ'd for 10 minutes, not at this point in my career, I can go and tidy up the kitchen or I can, you know, we can do those things that take time. I can go and curl cables or solder a broken something. And it's, it's nice because it, we have this saying here where it's like, oh, it sounds good coming up the stairs because we've got this massive hallway. And if you've been working on a track and then you go downstairs to tidy up while they're working on it, as you're coming back up, you get to hear the song from that different perspective. You know, you hear it from yeah. like for almost like for the first time and you can come and go, oh, it sounded good coming up the stairs. And that's a lovely thing to be able to do just to be able to take yourself away, think, not think about the track at all and then come back in. It's good. It's, it's like WWF or WWE is it called now? It's like tagging in. It's quite literally. He, he'll get to the point where he's like, he'll just turn around in his chair and he'll go, yeah, I go, yeah. And I just sit in the same chair and off we go again. We have disagreements about what speakers we like to mix on, but apart from that, it's, it's fine. That, that, that's okay. That's a good disagreement to have. <laughs> yeah, it is. It was great to chat with you, and thanks for taking the time to, to chat with me and, and answer my questions. A pleasure, man. I should keep listening. I, I think it's it's really cool, and it, it, it's it's nice for you to know that there are people in far-flung parts of the world that are listening that may never even tell you they are. Do you know what I mean? If I can hear it, I like that. Don't you like that? That's a nice feeling that you're doing these, you do these things and sometimes you throw them out into the world and you just don't know if anyone's ever hearing them. You're like, am I mad? You know, but if it can reach me in the way that it does and, and it had the impact on me that it has, then I'm sure it does to other people as well. So keep up the good fight. You know, it's great. Well, thank you again. I appreciate it, Jim. It's a pleasure, man. And really good to speak to you. I'll see you soon. Okay, Jim, take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Jim Holmes here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Great to chat with Jim, and I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. But we are out of time, so we're going to start with thanking our friend, Mr. Cliff Truesdale. Cliff, thank you. All right, there we are. And of course, we want to thank Cole Williams and Chuck Smith for their help. And we want to thank our sponsors, Gearsleds.com, Focal Monitors, Universal Audio, Audio Technica, and Lawton Audio. Thank you for continuing to listen. I appreciate it. Take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like, and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.